It's raw, it's real, it's unkempt. A podcast for founders, investors, and entrepreneurs hosted by me, Leanne Kemp, Queensland's Chief Entrepreneur. Now, this week, I talked to David Wardle. He's the Managing Director of Quick Corp. Now, they're a dynamic Australian-owned and operated company right here in Queensland, a premium manufacturer for equipment to the agriculture, emergency services, and the mining sector. You know, they do everything from spray units to fire and emergency service vehicle builds, and we've got this right in our own backyard. And then it's time for me to get serious and ask the questions every entrepreneur should ask themselves. Leanne Splaining in its finest. Well, Dave, welcome to Unkempt. It's really great to have you on the show. Sometimes when people summons up an image of an entrepreneur, they come up with a young tech guy from Silicon Valley with a hoodie and a bunch of white sneakers on. They imagine coding all day and night and with a diet of Red Bull. But of course, we know that's not entirely true. In Queensland, we have some incredible agpreneurs, farmpreneurs, techpreneurs who live and work in remote and regional areas. Could tell us a little bit about Quick Corp and the journey that you're on. Oh, Leanne, thank you very much uh, for having me on. Uh, I think your first point there um, at this stage is, yeah, you're right, where some of us aren't that young, uh, techie-style people. And um, for for myself especially, coming from a rural environment, it was quite interesting, you know, going back. A lot of my development and the development of products and, and growing the business was actually driving around and doing demonstrations and, and being in the field and, and being very close to Close to close to the customer, I suppose. So, um, Quick Corp's <laughs> development is yeah a, a little bit of a mile away from um, Silicon Valley. Uh, but in saying that, though, like from a company's perspective, we still have all the same sort of drives. We, um, you know, we're very we're always very keen to push the envelope, uh, developing new products. Um, we work we work very quickly to see if our products will fail and and and, and get it out there and let let the the customer base use it and, and dictate to us how it works and. Yeah, over a long period of time, that's been quite successful. You've got all sorts of products that you have invented and manufactured and also now commercially connected across customers, both in the private and the government sectors, from quick spray with herbicide units to quick corp with fire engineering and then Green Pro, which is the farm equipment division. Tell us a little bit about None of them feel to me like they're similar or connected, but there's got to be some secret source here that enables you to continuously innovate. What goes on behind those magical doors of Quick Corp? Yeah, look, I think like anything, at starting off, the, the, the first product being Quick Spray was developed. It was a very unique product. It um, went to market. There was nothing like it. It was patented um, in Australia and, and from the from the late 90, early 90s, sorry. And... It was always, I suppose, maybe the fear in the company between the original owners that they that they were worried that maybe this this will never go on forever. So maybe a little fear at the start got them to to drive forward from an innovation perspective to look at other markets. And so as as much as the you know we were having products that were going out, you know, and were being very successful as a business in the late nineties, and that was going quite well. However, there was always a desire to see what other markets could benefit from this type of technology. And so as much as the weed spraying equipment was used for weeds, there were very common similarities between a tank and a pump for firefighting. 
And that was one of the first markets other than export that the company decided to, to, to invest in. Um, and it was slow and it didn't work really well at the start. But um, once we brought in some more, I suppose, some uh, older heads in that industry who had a passion for that market, we were able to gain traction in that particular market pretty well. And, and we're now probably the largest rural fire uh, equipment manufacturer in Australia. Um, but it was more so the people added to it that could join the dots and, and see the, the similarities. And what worked well for us in fire is that we were able to go from very small, you know, small items that we added onto other people's um, vehicles to building our own vehicles. And some of that technology actually came back into the spraying equipment side. So it allowed us to take basic spraying units and actually turn them into full turnkey solutions. The green pro side of things is quite different, but again, it, it was looking for products that there was a, a massive gap between what an average farmer and, and my business partner is a, a small acreage farmer, and he was very annoyed that you could only either buy small, cheap things that you you know generally were, were produced overseas, or it was really high tech, over the top type equipment, and because that frustrated him a lot, he decided to do a lot of. Um, uh, R&D himself and brought that to the business and we decided to run forward with it and it's, it's actually worked out quite well. So a lot of it tied into each other in, in weird senses of a fear of not being left behind, using common elements amongst all those industries and, and again, a desire to innovate and, and build new equipment to fill market gaps. Thomas Edison said it so well, I've not failed, I've just found a 1,000 or 10,000 ways that just won't work. I mean, there are so many products and, of course, you have that aha moment, but tell us a little bit about, is it pure experimentation or are there failures that are along the way that make that incremental perfection occur inside of the product? How do you keep innovating? I noticed on the front page of your website it says leading through innovation, um, but there's got to be more than just those three words on the front page that makes this thing sing as well as it does. I, I appreciate that. 100%, I think, at the time, you know, it's sad now. Innovation as a word has lost a bit of its own meaning, I think. It, it used to be such a strong marketing word and now people don't really want you to use it as much because it's probably slightly overdone. But as a business, it was a, you know, it was an innovative product set that kicked it off. Um, it was a strong desire um, and inventiveness amongst the original people, which we carry through in people who come into this business is we like inventive people. We we, don't, we can't have everyone being an inventive per person because that causes some problems and have been through that. But, you know, we need, we like people who, you know, challenge the status quo and, and what we do is try and put them with the people who um, who have problems that need solving and we allow them to, to, to invent and... That, that probably wasn't very clear in the early days, probably, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. That was probably getting done as far as the cake goes with just probably a bit of a blindfold. We just naturally were doing that. In the last 10 years, we've actually seen where maybe as a manufacturer we were unique and we, we actually embraced it a lot more and we are prepared to take some risks to put products, you know, you know risks in monetary side of things to build products and, and get it into the field and let people real-world test it. So... You know, for us, that cake was a bit of an interesting mix of making sure that we had people who, who had a flair for it, who, who didn't enjoy just looking at, you know, the processes and, and making it, you know, easier to build, but actually seeing it as a, as a challenge. And 
getting the customers to those people and that sometimes can be difficult because sometimes customers enjoy the status quo. And then also from my perspective, I've always seen it as the only way that you can ever feel slightly comfortable in your position is that if you're out there building new products, like again, I have an inventive nature, but my bigger thing is that I want us to be able to, even if it's small steps forward, be able to have new products and, 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 and yeah, that's where I see it all stretches out for us. It's, it's where we get traction. It's where we, we, we see marketing value in the production of new products. So it's, it's been a very heavy theme through here for the, for the course of this whole business. So it's one thing to be able to innovate and create a product, and it's another thing to take it out to commercialisation. But there's something here in your business and the business model. It's around managing innovation through spin-outs, Technology spin-outs are typically designed to provide this independence and space for action and allow management to enhance market capitalisation. Um, and I noticed that some of your brands are really starting to take a hold into the market. Do you still keep them under the one corporate banner or do you think of them in their own separate little vehicles themselves? And if so, then how do you navigate through that? Definitely, again, in what I said before was that prior to that, we, we had this real desire to hold it all under the one banner. I, I think it was, you know, it was seen that we, that's what we should do and, and whatnot. And I think probably where that didn't work particularly well, and I'm, I'm all for what doesn't work a bit like what you said before. It's, it's more interesting when it doesn't work because it gives you a good step forward to making it work. We, we, we did well to a point of holding it all under the one banner. However, Moving forward, like we see that you know we've, we've got to bring in uh, more experience in different areas. We've got to bring in some more uh, knowledge in different areas. So we're in the process now of actually peeling certain parts of the business that where you know we have a drive to continue to make our products, you know, uh, more for the future. More again, probably more so in data collection and a number of different areas. But we need. We've acknowledged that we need to bring smarter heads to the table there, um, and and so by that we're actually creating sub businesses away from Quick Corp that aren't even Quick Corp run, but they'll be their own and uh, their, their own entity. And what we'll be providing is obviously the capability to manufacture those products in a certain area, but also what we have is strong sales links and strong connections, and and able to bring those thoughts to the customer quickly through the trust that QuickCorp's built up with those customers over the last 20 years. I love this conversation because it was written not so long ago that universities is the spin-out king of Australia with sales worth more than $21 billion and certainly University of Queensland licensed about 100 product developed by researchers. But what's missing in that model to me is what you have, and that is you have customers you have a real demand, you have insight into the need and the challenges to be solved. And so there's something quite incredible about maybe the relationship with universities and corporates coming together to be the spin-out king engine of Australia. What do you think of that and the relationship with universities and how that might even accelerate or provide for a scientific rigour to the work that you're doing? Yeah, look, I think it's I think it's nearly essential. I, it, it's been something that we've tried up and up just recently, we've been experimenting with that a lot more. Um, we haven't found that formula just yet that's worked, but I agree 100%. You're taking the passion and the expertise and a, um, you know, the strong 
desire of, you know, I suppose, youth in that in that instance um, of coming up with great ideas and coupling it with, you know, the stability, the customers, and you know, and then a few of the bit of old old heads, which I never thought I'd say because I was quite young when I took this job on. But I was going to say now my older head, my grey head, says. You know, I, I can help you navigate that quite well, and I think as a partnership, that's it's excellent. It's combining the best of both worlds, and and if, if anything, that should be something that is more encouraged, I think, than is being done at the moment. I, I, I and we're a little bit away from it here on the Sunshine Coast at times, but sometimes I don't feel that's being pushed hard enough. Yeah, Dave, let's talk about that older head, the lived experience. What are the top tips and nuggets of advice for people that are starting out? Because, you know, many people have a good idea, but of course, it's not enough just to know the tech or the problem that you're solving. It's about starting a business and getting the solution in the hands of the people. So I do love hearing from people that have that lived experience, that have a business background. What would be your top tips, nuggets and advice for those that are starting out now, given that, as you said, you're a self-declared ageist. <laughs> myself, yes. um, I think it, it really is the one thing that I've noticed over, you know, going from my late 20s to, to now my early 40s is the one thing that jumps out at me is not a – the, the, there's so many great ideas and so many great individuals with great ideas. The problem is I think, and this could be the pro- – this is just my thoughts, that, that – You've got everyone seems to think that everyone has to do everything. Like, uh, you know, if you're the, the the new startup of a business, then you've got to be able to be the the designer, the the the, the tech designer, and you overrun all your engineers, and then you've also got to be the sales arm and whatnot. And that's a very very unique individual. Doesn't happen a lot. And I think there's some people who are close, but they need to partner themselves with people who who give them the you know, just that opposite view. And I think that's lacking a lot of times when I see it is that they're not, they're looking for people who are more like them instead of the people who offer um, complementary. So if they're heavy, strong engineering, factual, logical, then they, it's good to put yourself with someone who's more sales, personable. Um, I think it happens quite a bit. And I think that's something that's really, you know, we've been lucky here that that's happened. It wasn't by design. It just was luckily a couple of people who got together who were different, respected each other enough to get over the fact that without all all ingredients, the cake wouldn't have baked and it wouldn't have happened. So I think, you know, if you're coming out and you've got a great idea, you know, it's not wrong to want to find someone else to share that with at the start. It may be what you need to accelerate it past the frustration that, that can happen if it doesn't happen right. You know, the Sunshine Coast, let's talk about that for a moment. It is an absolute diamond in the rough. It's become a natural choice for many business owners and entrepreneurs and scale-up companies over the past decade. Um, It has the perfect recipe, particularly for those that are in agribusiness as a prime example and even the work that you're doing um, in innovative manufacturing and clean technologies. Uh, give us a little bit of the reasons why we should really think about the Sunshine Coast as being a destination for industry. Well, it offers all the good things. Like you're not, it's still reasonably easy to access everything in the Sunshine Coast. It hasn't been overrun. It hasn't become you know another capital city where they're pushing people further and further away from 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 where you need to be. In fact, geographically, it works because it's. There's enough centres all the way along the Sunshine Coast for you to be somewhere but be everywhere, so that works quite well. 
the actual local government is very supportive of it. Obviously, they've worked pretty hard um, in probably in the last five or six years. They've really turned it around and and are supporting uh, you know the growth of the Sunshine Coast. I think prior to that might have been a bit hindered. Uh, and now we, you know, we have the submarine cable. They're working on the airport, which is going to help out a lot, and that's going to help a lot of businesses if they're looking to send product around. And look, and you can still have a reasonably nice lifestyle here, um, and it's enjoyable. Like it's not the rat race. You don't particularly have to drive too far, as I said. It's it's got a lot of those those um, those nice mixtures, and I and I I think really in the next five years it, it will explode and hopefully still retain some of its old charm. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting time of the year too when we think about fires and the fire season. We're in the midst of it right now. Um, It seems to be that we're in a good place this year in comparison to last year. How do these spikes of natural disasters play into the core business or the innovation agenda that you drive? Um, Is it at a constant stream or do you... Are, are you reactive? Are you reactive to, uh, unfortunately, lives lost and, you know, and, and issues in terms of, uh, of our habitat? Like how do you drive this innovation agenda when there are so many peaks and troughs in the urgency of what you need to create and build and innovate? I, I think the actual fact that there are peaks and troughs is a natural driver um, uh, along with fire. Fire is a good example because it, it, not every year is like that, but, most of the decision making is made during off years where that fire, you know, fire isn't as um, devastating um, for, for hope, for want, you know, for when that does happen, that everyone's up to speed. But in the agricultural sense, too, it's, a, you know, you, as anyone knows in those industries, especially if you're, you know, right at the forefront of it, bad years, bad rain years, you know, they, they happen anyway. So you've got to be prepared, and, and good farmers and, and good operators in that space are always trying to be prepared for the future. So, you're tending to be planning out further than, you know, every year is a year to innovate something so that if you've got a new product that can maybe drought-proof your business or is something the fire industry or emergency service industry could see to be useful, um, you tend to have to plan out. And it's a bit of a forced planning out. It makes you do that. Like it's not market-driven like a stock market thing. It's something that you're at the, the whim of the elements and if the elements card plays bad for you one year and you're not up to speed, then you, you can really hurt your business. So yeah, it's quite the it's quite the discipline. Um, it makes you have to go out into the future a lot more than some other companies, I think. Queensland leads in so many ways, particularly in the global markets. You know, I often hear the Premier proudly talk about Queensland is the largest exporter of goods and services, more than New South Wales and Victoria combined. It's a staggering set of statistics that are under our belt. And I was speaking to a number of farmers more recently, and what was incredible is that we lead in innovations in ways that I was not aware, and that is we have been on the backbone of a significant amount of decades of drought, and yet the USA is a prime example of reaching back to Australia for our lived experience, our innovation, the, how we've gone about um, the day-to-day living here to enable the yields off the agricultural land. And I'd imagine with the horrific fires that we had and the technology that we put into fire tech, that we're probably seeing the same sense of reach back into Australia, whether it be from South America and the tragedies that, of course, went through the Amazon, but even more recently, the California fires that seem to just be creating more and more and more speed over time 
uh, and they don't seem to have a handle on it. Is that what you're also finding as well, that we're seen to be experts yes. globally? I think not only that, but even exactly well, exactly what you said, it's, it's not even the products that we're experts at. It's actually professional advice, um, you know, services, uh, you know, information sharing. I think Australia um, has, you know, you know, we've had the, some pretty bad fires and, and, again, we've been able to handle them particularly well given our country. And I think what people like what we're doing now is we, we're able to take those problems, we, we, we attack them head on, we don't, you know, we don't try to hide behind it. And the people involved in those industries, and I've always thought this, are actually a very marketable, you know, even if it's just a person on the ground, they're a very marketable uh, thing to the world, whereas we can come and give, you know, from, from our perspective, uh, a lot of good advice. So I think there's a, there could be a future market in that for Australians as well. They call it experience innovation, and it's exactly what you're saying, this blue sky visioning from the reality of lived experience, and I think that Australia is well-placed to lead out in that moment. I always give my guests one of two things, either a moment in time that you'd go back and give yourself advice as your 15-year-old self or cast forward a vision into 2050, and what would that crystal ball moment be? I'll go forward only because I, I'm a bit of a believer in that there's nothing that you've done that hasn't done something to make you what you are now, and I'm, I'm really happy in that regard. In the future, um, the crystal ball is being able to, to, to try and pull all the opportunities together to, to be able to, to get I, – I feel very lucky to have so many opportunities in so many different markets that we're involved with and – and making sure that, that that we put the time and resources and, and, and bring in the right people to make the, the most of it. Because I believe as an entity, we've got you know, the, the ability to grow substantially, but it's the decisions now that, that are important. And you know, I, I'm hoping that all gets done right. So I hope I make those great decisions to see Quick Corp, a you know, $500 million business or bigger, make it a billion dollars in my 2050 or 2040. I love how we're rounding up to the nearest billion. It's so great to have you on Unkempt, Dave. So thank you for those words of wisdoms, the lived experiences, and also for the most critical work that you're doing in the southeast corner at the Sunshine Coast. It really is the place to be when you think about innovation around fire and fire technologies. Thanks, Dave. That's a wrap-up. Great to have you on the show. Thank you very much. And this week, I turn the tables and ask you the questions every entrepreneur should be asking themselves. Leanne Splaining with a twist. As chief entrepreneur, people often come to me asking questions around funding and pipelines and how to hire staff and venture capital companies. But what I soon figure out by talking to them in a little bit more detail is that they haven't asked themselves the basic questions that all entrepreneurs should have the answers to. So this week, I take a bit of guesswork out and give you the checklist of what you should be asking yourself as you start and scale a business. Now, of course, this is not an exhausting list, but more of a guide to get you thinking about the big, big topics. So here we go. First of all, let's take a look at some of the clarifying questions. Now, these seem quite simple, but actually, they're quite deep. Where do I want to go? And if you don't know where you personally want to go, I'm not talking about the company, I'm talking you as a human, a good human, then how are you going to take a company or people that are within that company on the journey with you? So take time, write it down, sit on a mountain, meditate, know yourself first and ask the question, where do I want to go and why? 
Now, there's no right or wrong here. The myth of everyone wanting a global scale-up is completely and utterly false. That's right. Not everyone wants to be a unicorn or riding a zebra, and nor is that motivation around the billion-dollar lifestyle that comes with it or the billion dollars worth of headaches. Really, that's not the motivation for most entrepreneurs to start. Some people want that for sure, but others want to solve a small problem locally or something that is deep within them that has had an instrumental and fundamental shift upon them as a person. So great. Just know which camp you're in, as it's easier to solve this from the get-go than halfway through a global fundraising campaign. Understand what scale means to you, what purpose means to you, and also impact. Check in with this goal as well because it may change over time depending on life circumstances or the reality check of the moment. Now here's the next one. What kind of enterprise do you want to build or is it a lifestyle business? Are you the next Google? Well, fantastic. But are you the best bakery in town? Now that sounds incredible to me. And risks. How much risk are you actually willing to take? And I'm not talking about just a little lack of sleep or maybe extending a credit card, but consider time, money, family, and everyone is and has a bottom line. So don't exceed it. But until you hit that line, then give it all and take every moment to exhaust yourself through the process to reach the realization of reality. Right, now you're ready to start strategy. So what is the strategy? How do you get there? What will it take? What are you willing to give? What people and resources do you need? These really simple questions are often skipped in the realization of funding. And remember, a vision isn't just about where you are today. It's certainly about where you're going. But more importantly, it's also fundamental to understand where you've come from. And in the practicalities of this, can the strategy now generate sufficient enough revenue, profits, or even cash flow to fund growth? So it's no good having the worst, best idea. People have to want that idea too, right? So understanding timing in right place at right time with right skill sets is also quite critical. No amount of hard work can turn a kitten into a lion. So go back to those limits and don't exceed the bottom. And is your strategy sustainable? I am talking about the planet and sustainability, of course, but it's also beyond that, not just the SDGs, the Sustainable Development Goals. I mean, how long can you reasonably keep up the idea so that it can grow wings by itself and begin to fly? Am I being too conservative? Am I being too aggressive? These are questions you can reflect upon yourself. It's a fine line and a fine balance, but a make or break proposition. And now we need to look to execution. Look yourself in the mirror. Take a deep breath. Really understand, can I do it? Do I have the right resources and relationships? And if I don't have them now, can I find them? When is the right time to employ more people to help with execution? And who are those right people? Not all companies in growth need C-level executives. Sometimes bringing in the juniors into the organization with the right set of leadership will perform in a greater sense of execution than some of those high-paid executives. You know, Everledger is a funny story because in the first year it was just me, a bit of a backpack, trampsing around the world. And it was in that reflective moment in time five years later that I realized that it was all those efforts that enabled me to be able to make the right timing decision, but also to take the time in the sky to be reflective. 
to constantly ask myself these questions and ensure that I'm not just telling myself the answers that I want to hear, but listening and understanding is the market also answering these questions for me. Now, here comes the best bit or the worst bit, but certainly it doesn't end. Just when you think you have the answers to these questions, you'll go through a restructure and hire a new team or expand to a new market. So guess what? Time to go back to the beginning and start asking yourself those questions time and time again. Good luck. May the fourth be with you. And also keep asking, keep questioning, keep doing, and keep dreaming. Unkempt. It's hosted by me, Leanne Kemp, and produced by the Office of Queensland Chief Entrepreneur and our Mike and mates at the Content Division. Hey, you like what you hear? Well, head over to your podcast platform of choice and leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. For more tips, why don't you visit chiefentrepreneur.qld.gov.au. Thanks for listening.